From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Congress crushes Biden's attack on hunter education and archery programs. California Governor Newsom signs 23 new gun control laws and says it's not enough. And Ohio introduces several new pro-gun bills to protect rights and one anti-gun bill to encourage gun owners to voluntarily give up their rights. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Sexton, BFA's Legislative Affairs Director. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Dean. It's great to be back. So, Rob, I understand you took a trip to Vegas recently. Is that something you can tell us about, or is that one of those what Rob does in Vegas stays in Vegas deals? I'm able to share the details of this particular Vegas trip, right? Uh, so I was out, actually, I was only in Vegas for a short period of time. Most of my trip was spent south of there in Laughlin, Nevada, which is like a little mini Vegas strip. And then from there, branching out to uh, Sedona, Arizona, and the Grand Canyon, and Hoover Dam. So I've always wanted to see some of these real wonders that we're fortunate to have here in America. And I've just never seen any of them. And well, I tell you what, if you ever need some rejuvenation on just what a beautiful country we have, this would have been a trip to do that. I'm, I'm really glad to have finally got to see all of those things. Well, Rob, you know, I used to live in Las Vegas many years ago. I actually got recruited as a public school teacher out there, believe it or not, but that career did not last very long. You know, I was a young, naive West Virginia boy in the big city. They moved me from, you know, my little seventh grade class to the big, nasty high school class with all the gang members and dope heads in the school. I was actually the fourth teacher to be stuck with that job. And the previous teacher had died, you know, which was not exactly inspiring. And huh. yeah, and, and after I observed for one day, I basically just walked out and quit my entire teaching career lasted exactly three weeks and three days. Now, I'm just wondering if you ever have quit a job that fast, Rob. I cannot think of a single job I walked off that fast, but no one has ever trapped me inside of, you know, one of these public school classrooms where chaos rules the day. And honestly, this is a bit of a tangent, Dean. I don't know how today's current public school teachers handle the environment that we put them in. Yeah, my, my sister teaches out there. She's done very well. But, you know, when I was there, and this was the early 90s, they were actually putting in metal detectors in the schools. The gangs were really starting to gear up. I was brand, you know, I was trying to learn how to take attendance. And then I got stuck with the worst high school students, literally gang members. Half the class was high. You know, there were fights. It was one of those life is too short kind of moments. And I guess today they call that ghosting. Uh, I've been pretty critical of people you know, young people ghosting jobs, but I guess that's what I did out there. I just, I ghosted them. I, I left, didn't say anything, never went back, broke my contract because it was just like, no way, no way is that going to be my life. 
No. Well, I can't imagine why anybody would want it to be their life, you know, and I've got two of my kids are school teachers. We've got other family that are too. And, you know, we're in an environment today where kids come to school with weapons. They come to school not being fed. They come to school without having shoes on. It's just a lot of stuff that parents used to take responsibility for that they no longer do. And, you know, the solution to almost everything is having good parents and, uh, it's lacking in a lot of places. Yeah. Rob, last time we had you on the podcast, I think it was back in July, and we talked about current legislation at that time. Now I want to update everyone on some new bills that have been introduced. But first, I just want to talk about some stuff in the news, and I want to mention a lecture uh, that, that's going to happen actually down at the Ohio State House, And I'm, I'm planning to attend this. It's called To Trust the People with Arms the Supreme Court, and the Second Amendment. And this is uh, featuring Robert Cottrell. And anyone who follows Second Amendment stuff maybe recognizes his name. He's a professor of law at the George Washington University Law School and is a you know, pretty big wig you know, in the Second Amendment movement. And he's gonna, he has a new book out of the same name as, as the lecture. And it's all about the history of how the right to bear arms was widely accepted at the time of the nation's founding, but the whole idea just reached near extinction in the late 20th century, but it's now experiencing a rebirth because of some of the Supreme Court cases that we've seen. This is a free lecture. It's about two hours in the atrium, which if you're familiar with the State House, there's the, the main building, there's the Senate building, and then there's this sort of breezeway between them, but they've covered it up, and so they use it as a meeting space. And uh, you just have to register so they know how many people are going to come. There's an article on our website that gives you the link so that you can go register for it. Again, it's entirely free. Parking at the end of the day, Rob, around 4.30 shouldn't be too bad, right? No, it shouldn't be too bad. And there are several, you know, you got the underground garage at the State House, of course. But there is also a uh, surface parking lot uh, at the corner of... Uh, third street and summit or not summit state street there's a lot that's just behind the ohio theater and a little alley that i use as a backup lot so there there's plenty of parking down there i think if you have to fight for it yeah and they've finished the construction haven't they in the parking garage below the state house which they were doing yeah. for like the last 50 years <laughs> yeah <laughs> it seemed like i it. think that's uh, i think that's largely done so i don't think parking will be an issue i i have a question did this fella speak at the NRA's legal seminar? Um, I don't know that I don't know that he was at the legal seminar for the NRA. He's uh, going to be speaking or, or did speak at the Second Amendment Foundation meeting. Uh, he's he's just one of those like the one of these leading thinkers on this issue, and and he has got a book out. And I think I'm going to buy the book uh, from Amazon. It's of the same name, to trust the people with arms, the Supreme Court, and the Second Amendment. And there's a link to the book in the article on the website, and I just made that permanent at the top of the website. So there's a little slideshow at BuckeyeFirearms.org. Just click on that. You'll see the article. You can click through to register for the lecture. You can click through to, to buy the book. Uh, we're not making any money from this. I'm just promoting it because I think it's a, a really important lecture and be nice for some gun guys to show up and uh, 
you know, hear about the history of the Second Amendment from somebody who really knows what he's talking about. So, yeah. Rob, I'm, I'm hoping you can make it. I'm going to try to make it uh, next week, Thursday, 4.30. Sounds great. I hope to get to be there. I think it'd be great to have a crash course on these things. Because, you know, a lot of folks who are new to gun rights, you know, they're sort of in the post-Heller and Bruin world. Uh, they don't know that, gosh, you know, 20 years ago, people like Ronald Reagan were endorsing the viewpoint that there were more limits on the Second Amendment than what we believe were ever intended by the founders. And of course, some very famous Supreme Court justices opined in that same fashion. So I think this would be a great chance for people to learn some real background on the Second Amendment. Yeah, it's uh, good stuff. Again, free, but they do want you to register. So go check out that article on the website about that. So uh, the next thing I want to talk about, Rob, and we reported on this on the website, and it's right up your alley because it's really about hunting. Congress pretty much just put a beat down on Joe Biden, uh, where he, he recently tried to reinterpret some uh, rules that they came up with. And and basically, uh, the result was going to be that it was going to defund scholastic hunter education and archery programs for youth. Surprisingly, the House of Representatives voted it down. There was a, uh, a new law that was put up to protect, you know, this money. And uh, by a vote of 424 to 1, the House basically just, you know, killed the administration's initiative. The Senate voted unanimously. Right. And so, you know, th- and this so this was Republicans and Democrats. Uh, everybody but one person voted for this to protect this money. Rob, what was it that the Biden administration was trying to do? What was going to be the fallout of all that? Well, you remember earlier in uh, Biden's term, you know, he was looking for some sort of— uh, some sort of law to deal with guns. They hatched some sort of so-called compromise act. It's called the bipartisan safer communities act. Well, there was some language in there about, uh, you know, access to firearms, access to that sort of thing for minors. Uh, and the Biden administration ran with that to include cutting off funding for hunter education and cutting off funding for archery programs. Now, Hey, look, you can say whatever you want about, you know, minors involving firearms, but hunter education is where kids are taught to handle firearms safely. It's also a pipeline by which people are taught to hunt correctly. Uh, and it's key, you know, to the future of hunting itself and archery. You know, they've got a very prolific program across the country called the National Archery in Schools Program, which, you know, kids take a gym class where they get to shoot bows. And there's actually been some studies that show that the kids who are part of that program are actually more enthusiastic to go to school every day. A lot of folks may not know that in the post-COVID world, absenteeism is absolutely rampant. And so, you know, you take away something that kids look forward to coming to school uh, over. So the decision by the Biden folks that this should be lumped in with basically providing promotion of guns to minors just shows you what happens when you trust the federal government to do anything really involving firearms. It can't be trusted. So they made this ruling. And to your point, Congress rightly saw they were going to get clobbered. I mean, all over Ohio, there are volunteer hunting hunter ed instructors and all over Ohio are schools that have archery in the schools program. So this bonehead move 
would have impacted hundreds of schools and hundreds of hunter education classes. And that's why I think Congress realized even Democrats, like they don't want to wear that black eye uh, to, to be the ones that dried up funding for hunter education that includes, for God's sake, firearm safety. So to your point about the, the scope of the vote, I mean, we all know right now Congress, Congress can barely agree on anything, including who ought to be Speaker of the House, apparently. But 424 to 1, and then the Senate, you know, the, the, the unanimous consent, which, as you say, you know, just nobody even objected. It was a slam dunk. So, you know, I think Congress sent a strong message to the Biden administration on this one. I sure wish they would do that more often, but we'll take a victory on this one because it was a definite repudiation. So, Rob, the natural question from all this is, and I got a question on Facebook about that, you know, the vote in the House was 424 to 1. So who was the one? Who was who yeah. was that one person who, uh, you know, voted against protecting the funding for the hunting and the archery programs? And so I looked it up, and it was Veronica Escobar from the 16th Congressional District in Texas, a Democrat, of course. And on Facebook, some of the people said, well, you know, this is Texas, so, you know, she's going to lose her next election. She's going to really pay for that. But I looked up that district. That's El Paso. So El Paso is like the deepest of deep blue cities in Texas. Now, I, I don't claim to know much about Texas, Rob, but my impression is that they're a lot like Ohio. They're a state with large red areas and then big blue dots where the cities are, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, and you know, El Paso is a city that's had a lot of violence, especially because of the revolving door of our border. And so the politicians down there tend to, the Democrat politicians, they, cut, they tend to come in two stripes. Those that are going against their party and realizing, man, we've got to have some crackdowns on the border. We need to have some crackdowns on crime. And then the other type who just continue to affirm the, the crazy liberal lunatic policies like this one. I just don't know what possible justification you could have to suggest we don't want people properly educated on how to handle a firearm or how to hunt safely. It's preposterous. So I don't get it, but I'm glad there was just one. Yeah. And, and it's an example of how, you know, a conservative in one area of the country is not the same as a conservative in another area of the country. Liberals are different. Democrats are different. You know, uh, Texas Democrats are not the same thing as like a New Hampshire Democrat or a Washington State Democrat. You know, there there are a lot of differences. So just be careful when you read those articles about, you know, who's going to vote for who and how people think, you know, because they're a Democrat or a liberal or conservative or whatever it might be. That's just not the way it really pans out. So, you know, you run into a Democrat in Texas, and I think that they're, they could be confused for a Republican in Ohio. Yeah, that's right. There are some suburban Republicans uh, in many states that are about the same politics as some of your you know, uh, rural Texas Democrats you run across. So that's a good advice. You know, you can't always judge a book by its cover. So Rob, this other article, and we had to post it. I, I honestly don't know how newsworthy it is because I don't think anyone was really surprised. But I really like the headline that I wrote for it. I'm patting myself on the back here. California Governor Newsom signs 23 new gun control laws, says it's not enough. And that is an entirely factual headline. 
And uh, all, this is all about, in case you missed it, September 26th, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law a total of 23 new gun control restrictions. And amid the jubilation, you know, because they were all very happy and smiling when he had signed all of these, Newsom actually said, and this is a quote, it's great what we're doing, but it may not be enough. It's great what we're doing, but it may not be enough. Now, anybody familiar with California already knows that it holds the record, literally, for being the strictest state in the country on gun control laws. And now they passed an additional 23, and it's stuff like, you know, banning concealed carry pretty much everywhere in public, raising the minimum age for carry to 21. They've got this really onerous 11% excise tax on all guns and ammo. Micro-stamping, they just mandated that. So uh, within a few years, they want all guns to have micro-stamping on the cartridges that a firearm expels, which I'm not sure is even proven technology yet. Rob, I, I don't know if you uh, have any thoughts on this article, but you know my, my head was swimming when I saw this. It's like they have all of these laws already. They're the worst in the country. Now they want to pass another 23 laws, and they still don't think it's enough. This is pretty much, this sums up the modern gun control movement in a nutshell, doesn't it? It's never enough. No, it never will be enough until we're all disarmed and subject to the authoritarian government that guys like Newsom would want to put on us. You know, there were two other aspects to hit the bills he signed that caught my eye. One is requiring retailers to use a merchant category code to track all sales at firearm and ammo dealers. You know, that issue has gotten some national attention because it's been discussed about whether it could be implemented, not just nationally, I suppose, but across the world. The idea that if you buy a firearm with your credit card, it automatically is coded a certain way in which government could then ask those credit card dealers for, you know, all the people who bought at those locations. And then, therefore, they would have a de facto gun registration list. And if, if people don't think that could happen, you know, remember, it was just a couple of weeks ago, we learned that a gun safe manufacturer had turned over the lock combinations to one of their customer safes when the authorities asked for it. So it's pretty scary when they're watching your credit card transactions as a backdoor means to track, you know, which of us are armed. I also noted they want to ban body armor. So, yeah, but body, banning banning body armor for civilians. So I think you know they're, yeah. they're. I guess the claim is that you know bad guys are wearing body armor and you can't shoot them and put them down or something. I I've not seen a lot of stories like that. I know there was you know one big story many years ago, and I think that was in L.A. Wasn't it? Uh, right, guy with body armor robbed a bank. They they shot him so many times. The police had to go to a local gun store and get you know ARs to shoot this guy. So that, you know, it's it's an example of how one thing can happen, it freaks everybody out, and they just never forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, your point, it'll never be enough. I mean, let's keep in mind, I don't know if we've talked about this in the, this podcast, Newsom is calling for a a constitutional convention to open up the Second Amendment discussion. I mean, he he wants to literally rewrite the Second Amendment. I think that's particularly noteworthy because it's a cottage industry right now to speculate 
that somehow Biden and Vice President Harris are going to be out of the way and clear the way for Newsom to become the Democratic nominee. He'd like to bring California to the rest of us. And this is what California looks like. Yeah, and, and at uh, after this press conference when Newsom and, and the others were you know, bragging about all this, pretty quickly, the Fresno County Sheriff and the District Attorney in Fresno came out and criticized the laws. In fact, uh, Fox News reported that the DA out there, the district attorney, said these laws are not going to make anybody safer. She actually said pretty clearly that that targets the wrong people. She said, and this is a quote, less than 2% of the crimes that are committed with guns in the United States are committed by lawful gun owners. And that's right. And that's something that we're trying to point out all the time. Gun control laws almost always target people who are not committing crimes. And all of these 23 new laws that they signed out there are exactly that. It's not about crime control. It's about gun control. Two very different you know, things. And and it's about headlines and optics. You know, I, we, we probably could spend a whole other podcast talking about this, but I don't know. Did you see the photos of Columbus, Ohio's gun buyback that were publicized this past week? Yeah, with like the jet clampet uh, shotguns and you know the uh, the the pistols from Civil War and things like that. Yeah, so the the pictures I saw that cracked me up. You know, you've got this twenty two rifle, right? And so they're all that, that. That's what they chose to picture, right? Here's an example of what we bought back, Columbus. We're making you safe. We purchased this Grandpa's twenty two. And then I saw two thirty-eight revolvers that look like something off of an, you know, an episode of Barnaby Jones or something, right? And, and, and we're supposed to think that that's somehow made the world safer. I tell you what, if I had been more of an entrepreneurial type, I would have gone out and bought myself a handful of cheap guns. I heard they were averaging $400 per gun. I mean, we could have made ourselves a tidy little profit selling guns that nobody wants or uses, Dean. But what a joke and a ridiculous use of taxpayer dollars. But it's really all about the optics, isn't it? Yeah, and they're just going to take all of them and destroy them. And there might be some collectibles in there. You know, they, obviously they know nothing about firearms, and it's really, you know, pitiful. They, you, know, you could have, for all we know, a firearm in there that's worth, you know, $10,000, and they're just going to destroy it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's two things that are behind this type of stuff, right? And, and you can pick, and maybe it's both. Right. Sometimes I think these these Democrats, these left wing Democrats do this because they want to take all our gun rights away. And sometimes I think they just want the headlines. It's all about making a splash again and again and again. Like Newsom's not stupid. He knows that this stuff is not going to stop the anarchy and the chaos that are in his streets. But he also wants to get credit for making these big splashes over and over again. So, you know, 11% excise tax, he's going to make us pay for the actions of criminals. Yeah. And well, a lot of it's performative. Uh, we see that in Columbus. We see that in other Ohio cities. Even when they're passed, trying to pass these local laws, they know very well it's not going to uh, do anything. In fact, the, one of the police chiefs in Columbus came out and said, you know, look, most of the guns used in crimes in Columbus are owned illegally to begin with. So, right. you know, well, then what's the point? What's the point of passing new gun control when it's going to go entirely around 
the group of people who were committing most of the violent crimes. So yeah, yeah, a lot of it I think is just performative. So here's an interesting question, right? I wonder how many people who, you know, criminals who stole firearms sold them back to the city of Columbus and got paid for it. Wouldn't that be an interesting question? Well, I think even the criminals will know if they're going to steal a firearm, at least steal a Glock or steal, you know, a, a decent AR or some, not, not the Jed Clampett shotgun. I actually have sort of one of those Jed Clampett type guns. I inherited it from my grandfather. It's a single shot. I forget the maker, but it's a, it's a break. You know, you break it open. It accepts one shell. I don't even know what the gauge is, you know, like it's a, I don't know, 40 gauge or something. It's really small, but I keep it just for the amusement. You know, I take it out and look at it just for a laugh sometimes. But that, those are the kind of guns that often show up. You generally don't see, you know, a tricked out Glock or a really nice, you know, $2,000 911, something like that. That These are not the guns that people are turning in. It's the junk. It's like, well, we found something in the attic. It's a piece of crap. Nobody uses it. But then... The, the uh, police and the politicians can come out and say, look, we're taking these guns off the street. You know, this is one one less dead person or whatever. That's, that, that's BS. One less 1949-22 rifle on the streets to wreak havoc. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rob, let's uh, talk about some legislation. Again, uh, last time you were here, we were updating people on what was going on at the time. We've had some new bills introduced and uh, let's just uh, move through some of these. So one is HB 189. You actually provided testimony on this. This is a bill uh, by Tim Schaefer, Al Catrona, and this is about getting rid of sales tax on firearms and ammunition and also having tax credits for firearm manufacturers to try to encourage them to move into the state. So can you tell us a little bit about this bill and your testimony, Rob? Absolutely. So, you know, Katrona is a very pro-gun Republican in the Ohio House of Representatives. He's an ally. In fact, last year, I think he went to SHOT Show. So he's not just a pro-gun guy. He's very interested in firearms. So, you know, as you say, this bill does two things. It, it removes sales tax on guns and ammunition, which, you know, that's not a world changer for you. But I think any of us would like to have a 7% discount when you go buy a firearm. So I think that's that's nothing but a net positive. The more interesting part to me is the idea of trying to attract uh, gun manufacturers and ammo manufacturers to the state of Ohio. And so they, they're, they're doing the tax credits as part of this bill. You know, Ohio is a little behind the curve on that. You know, there were several co companies that left the northeastern U.S., New England, you know, when, when those states began to crack down on gun manufacturers. But there's still a lot. And so, you know, opening the door saying, hey, we want you here. I think that's a good thing. It's also a win-win, isn't it? It's jobs. And so I think it's nothing but a positive. Uh, and, not, and not just I, jobs, not just jobs, Rob, but manufacturing jobs. Uh, when, when, you know, a lot of those kind of jobs are, are going away. And, and I'm a big proponent of Ohio. You know, there are a lot of corporations that are based here because we're within, what, like 500 miles of the majority of the country's population. We, we're a really good location. You can ship yeah. to the east, you can ship to the west. And that's why, you know, companies like the Limited are based here. You have, a, you know, a lot of big company, you know, Marzetti's with the salad dressing. That's just down the street from me. Uh, Elmer's, Elmer's, yeah, Elmer's, Elmer's Glue used to be here. A lot of fast food, just tons and tons. You'd be surprised. 
and how many uh, big corporations are here and you know the big Amazon shipping facilities and you know there's there's a reason that the the uh, chip manufacturers and all of that are coming here as well because it's the location it's just a That's really right. good location uh, in in Ohio and so I would love to see more manufacturers uh, of firearms come here you know they they can't really go wrong they'll probably set up in a rural location their employees are going to love that they can have you know probably uh, uh, ranges in their backyard if they're in a township right right it's things right. that they can't do if they're like in Massachusetts or you know maybe Washington state or something like that so an interesting comic moment from the hearing so our friend chris lee from the firearms industry trade association he testified in favor of the bill and so one of the democrats you know they've always got these gotcha questions that i feel like they they sit up late at night i'm gonna ask the gun guy this question right and so they pounced on chris and the question was this bill is going to cost ohio 25 million dollars a year which, by the way, is the cost of providing every single child in Ohio free school breakfast every day. So which one do you think is more important, right? And Chris, you know, he did the, he did, probably did the right thing. The right thing was, I'm not going to answer that question. That's, that's not really a question about why I'm here, and that's true. But I, I, I honestly, you know, hindsight's 2020. Chris and I talked about it, you know, and I said, man, Chris, the state of Ohio, like all government, they spend money on things that the rest of us just scratch our head about. The, the, the budget of Ohio is like $85 billion a year. And so you're going to tell me that the sales tax on my, you know, my shotgun that I buy or my rifle that I buy, that's the difference between some poor kid getting breakfast every day. That's a joke. And so it's just this false narrative, this false comparison that they put up in the committee. I, I, Sometimes the Democrats try so hard to even be against something that ought to be reasonable. I mean, you know, even poor people need to have the ability to defend their families. Why would we want to make firearms more expensive? Yeah, and then there are all these things that are tax-free. A lot of people probably don't know that. Things like diapers. Yeah. You know, you don't pay tax yeah. on diapers and, and a lot of food. If you look at your grocery bill, there'll be a, a lot of things that are just not taxed. You know, they're not taxing you on eggs or milk and whatever. And the whole point is that people need certain basics and let's not tax them on that to make it easier for them to acquire it. Well, right. that's the same idea with the firearms. If you have to defend yourself, a firearm is a lot more important than eggs or, or bananas. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how many people have tried to defend themselves with a banana, but Rob, it doesn't go down very well. I reckon it would, yes. So there's some other that that's actually a Monty Python reference, uh, and if anybody gets that, defending yourself with a banana, we we won't get into yes. that. So there's some other bills that uh, we support. A couple of them here, uh, HP 272, and this is to allow concealed handgun licensees in a government building where it's not a courthouse, and then SB 148, and this is. Uh, and you, you had brought this up, Rob, to prohibit financial institutions from tracking firearm purchases uh, with uh, these new merchant category codes. Now, on right. that, on that, on this last one, the thing that you didn't mention with the category codes is if you go to say Cabela's, buy a firearm, yes, it gets tracked as a firearm purchase. But let's say you go to Cabela's, you're getting ready for a camping trip, you buy a tent. 
you know, you buy some cooking gear, you buy some boots, you buy a fishing rod or whatever because there's a nice lake nearby. All of that gets tagged as a firearm purchase too. In other words, they can't tell the difference. All, all that they can tell is it's the firearm retailer. So everything gets tagged as a firearm purchase even if you don't buy a firearm. So not only does it create a registry when you're buying firearms, but it falsely puts you on the registry regardless of what you buy. All that people know is that you've made a purchase at a firearm retailer. Well, and and far even above firearms. I mean, we, we, you know, how much do we want the government maintaining lists of the products that we buy? Now, these product codes, I learned something about this this week, that much like there is in all parts of our uh, economy, you know, there are hubs around the world, which is the hub for this or the hub for that. We all know the Swiss are one of the homes for the banking industry worldwide. And these codes that you're talking about are being discussed with this organization that sort of uh, controls like your instant swipes, right? And so we all depend on that stuff to be able to swipe and have transaction go through. And so finding out that this, this decision, if it's not prevented, you know, would be running through this Swiss organization was particularly alarming to me. So one of the meetings we were in, we were asked, you really think this is necessary because it's not happening right now? And my response was, well, gosh, you know, the fact that this decision would be made by a foreign entity where, let's face it, firearm, we're unique in the world in terms of firearm freedom. And so, yeah, I think Ohio should take the step to prevent this from happening. This bill just simply bans any company that does business in Ohio from tracking purchases that way. I think it's a very smart thing, and I think they should pass it. Yeah, and uh, so that you know, that's why Rob, we support SB one forty eight. This is being introduced in uh, other states, and we we had this up last year, right? And it just didn't it just didn't go through. Yeah, it was brand new, and it came out late in the session, you know. And and so uh, I think there's a decent chance it's going to pass. I I was down at the state house with Chris Lee, and also with uh, John Weber with NRA. We we tag team several meetings on this subject. Of course, it's being carried by Senator Terry Johnson, who, you know, in Ohio right now, if you want to get something done pro-gun, you know, Terry Johnson is the one who often gets uh, anointed to carry these bills because he is a champion for it, and he's carrying this one. So I think it's got a good chance to go. And then there's a bill that's under review, so I don't know that we want to say a whole lot about this, HB 233. It's called the Self-Defense Protection Act by Josh Williams and Brett Hudson Hillier. And it's all about creating a pretrial procedure for someone who's asserting self-defense after a shooting. Now, this one's a a pretty technical bill. Uh, Josh Williams is a smart guy, and he's an attorney. He has, uh, you know, a lot of experience dealing with some defendants that are, you know, let's say less than ideal, but who still have rights, right? Everybody has rights, regardless of who you are. And he just brings that practicality to this bill. We're talking to him about it. We wanted a few changes. I think that they're going to they're going to do that. I think we're going to support it. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to say about that. Well, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, we felt like we had closed the door, you know, in order on the burden shift, you know, that it's the government that has to prove that you did not act in self-defense instead of you having to prove that you did. 
uh, Representative Williams has shown us clear evidence that the burden shift concept is not working as well as what we thought. And that as a result, you know, you get stuck in a situation where the person has to take the stand in order to defend whether or not they did act in self-defense. And, and you know, I mean, that's a, we can say that the guy on the stand may be a, a, you know, a creepy human being, but there are certain fundamental parts of our criminal law that are just as American as the stars and stripes. And one of them is I've got the right not to self-incriminate. I've got the right not to have to take the stand because the government has to prove beyond reasonable doubt that I did the crime. And the only way that you can assert your self-defense is by putting yourself on the stand. And so that's a bad precedent. He's, he's given us some other examples that really have a scratch in our head. And the other good thing about Representative Williams is that it appears that he is signaling he wants to work with us to fix it. Uh, he's open to our suggestions. And so I think this could wind up being a really important bill and one that he brought to our attention, and he deserves credit for that. Yeah, and a lot of bills, I think, are introduced because, you know, a representative or senator has certain political ideas and they want to push forward those ideas. That's not really where this is coming from. This is a working attorney who has had real problems in the court courtroom. And right. he's saying, look— this is what's happening in the real world. You know, let's let's forget about partisanship and politics. This is what happens to my clients. I want to help them. So he's, he's coming from the right place. He has all the right motives. And uh, Rob, I know we talked about this. He's just a really smart guy and, yeah. and you know, sat us down and really convinced us that, that, he, that he had something here and that we really needed to support it. Yeah, he sure did. And... Uh... You know, he was basically when we first discussed the bill, I had sent messages down there to him and other people who were signed on to this bill. Hey, we're not we're not going to be OK with this. We've got the burden shift already in law. And so he responded with, can we sit down and talk about this? Because I think you're going to be surprised if I tell you what the experience has been in courtrooms where I'm from. Now, he's from Lucas County and, and he's telling us that folks who would want to assert their self-defense. uh right of self-defense are just being railroaded up there. And, and I don't think that's the only place it's happening. So I think he's done us a favor by pointing out a, a flaw in the way the law works and, it, you know, we have a chance to fix it. And then the last bill I want to introduce, and I, I think this is probably the newest one, SB 164, it just came out, I think this week, and it's from Herschel Craig. It's to create a do not possess firearms registry even though state and federal law both forbid gun owner registry. So, Rob, I'm, I'm a little flummoxed on this bill. It appears to be a registry that you're supposed to put yourself on to yeah. prevent, yourself, uh, prevent yourself from having a, a gun or buying or carrying or whatever. So, Rob, what's going on with this um, do not possess firearm registry? Well, you know, Herschel Craig is one of the leading anti-gun members of the General Assembly. So this is a pretty unique approach. So it, it, under his scenario, if you feel like you're a danger to yourself, then you could enroll yourself voluntarily on this do not possess firearms registry, at which point you'd have to surrender your firearms. You'd have to, the, the sheriff would automatically suspend your concealed handgun license if you have one. 
But I, I think as you and I were discussing this bill, we were going through it a while ago. What happens when you want your firearm rights back? What happens when you say, okay, the bad times are over. You know, I had to get myself straight after coming back from Afghanistan, for example. What happens at that point? Well, here's what happens. You have to petition a judge to have a hearing. And then this judge gets to decide whether you get your firearm rights back. And in order to do that, you have to prove that you're worthy to get them back. And and I, I just think about the idea that you're going to hand that power to a judge and you don't know their political persuasion. You're going to file a petition. A judge is going to be assigned. Judges are elected officials. You know, I think a lot of us tend to think of judges. These guys are appointed for life and they're supposed to be not quite so political, but Ohio judges are elected. They're not appointed. Sometimes they carry party labels. Sometimes they don't, but they are definitely have affiliations. They definitely have political viewpoints. So you're going to draw a judge and that judge might be someone who believes in very strict gun control. Are they ever going to give your gun rights back? And then, and then more than that, here's a political question. Elected officials are by their very nature politicians. They want to be elected and reelected. Do you want your name, you know, Judge Smith, do you want your name to be on the petition that gave someone their gun rights back and then they do go out and do something wrong? Then you'll be the guy that did it. And so I think you're going to put yourself on that registry. There's a good chance that's where you're going to stay. So I can't imagine anybody with half a brain would ever put themselves on this registry. But I certainly think we need to oppose a bill that creates one. Yeah, and then we do oppose it, SB 164. Uh, we pretty rapidly oppose this bill. I mean, just again, first of all, because it's a gun registry, uh, that's just wrong. It's illegal. We've always opposed gun registries. Uh, number two, as you mentioned, you're basically giving your rights over to the government. You never, ever want to do that. If you give up your rights, you don't get them back in most cases. That's that's why there are civil rights organizations all over the place. That's why we exist. We don't want the government to decide for us whether or not we have rights. That is for us to decide on, on whether we're going to exercise a right. And then just all the practical problems. There's so many things wrong with this idea. And I don't know that Herschel Craig, you know, intended anything bad. This is supposed to be about suicides. You know, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I would call it an ignorant bill, if, if not an evil bill. Uh, you know, the, the effect is going to be really bad. And I can't imagine anybody, I, you know, even if I were suicidal, I'm not going to put myself on a registry. That just makes no earthly sense at all. No. No, and God only knows what, that re- what happens to that registry later on. You know, a lot of us will remember the unintended consequences of the do not fly list. You know, once you're on that, what, you know, what happens to you from there? So I think you'd have to be crazy to begin with to even put yourself on this registry. But we don't want the government maintaining lists of us. That's the bottom line. It's a terrible idea. Right. Well, Rob, thanks for discussing all of these issues with us. Uh, You know, I always feel a little smarter after talking to you. So uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast very soon. That sounds great, Dean. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.com.
BFA.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.